these people who, who were actually uh, engaged in gratefulness more intensively or had what, what the researchers called more grateful brains had a whole bunch more activity in two primary regions of the brain. Both those regions of the brain are heavily associated, and this is pretty cool, Ryan, with emotional processing, with interpersonal bonding, and with rewarding social interactions, moral judgments, and the ability to understand the mental states of others. That idea that there's a higher power in charge of your life or assisting you with your life, and there's this story that you're on this planet to live out, not only is that an incredibly encouraging way to live life, but they've also found that love, family, and relationships, and belief in a higher power are a couple of the other things that really assist with longevity and improved health outcomes. But I get cold each day, I get hot each day, and then each day for two minutes, I go anaerobic. You are listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast. The OPP is brought to you by Natural Stacks makers of 100% natural and open source supplements designed to help you live optimal. For more information on how to build optimal mental and physical performance into your life, keep it right here on the OPP or go to naturalstacks.com. You'll be able to see the blog post for all of these podcasts and find all the tools that you need to build optimal performance into your life. Ryan Muncy is probably the smartest guy I know. Trust me, Muncy is the nutrition guy. Ryan Muncy's out there trying to make the world better for all of us. The Optimal Performance Podcast is bold, edgy, creative, entertaining, and epic. Ryan Muncy is my go-to guy. Ryan Muncy is the first guy I call. He's making people's lives better. Ryan Muncy's an innovator. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the OPP. Our guest of honor today is none other than Ben Greenfield, a man who needs zero introduction. Ben, thanks for hanging out with us today. Hey, did you just call me a guest of honor, dude? That sounds like some kind of a. Uh, it sounds almost like I'm a I'm I'm a knight, maybe, or some like honorable Eastern mystic coming to coming to grace your podcast floor. Well, maybe before it's all said and done, you'll be knighted. Uh, I don't know. I know. That'd be pretty cool, Sir Ben Greenfield. Greenfield. That's better than what I was going to say. I was, I was originally just going to say Ben fucking Greenfield. And as long as I get a horse and a lance, I'm happy. You, you would want a lance, not a crossbow? Isn't that, isn't that what you call it, a lance? Well, yeah, I'd actually be more comfortable with a crossbow or a compound bow. <laughs> All right. So, Ben, before we dive into this, a couple of housekeeping notes for you guys listening. Uh, as always, go to naturalstacks.com. You'll be able to see the video version of this. You'll see Ben's amazing setup. He's all washed out in red light right now. Uh, you'll be able to see the links. We'll have tons of studies that we're going to talk about on today's episode. You'll be able to chase those rabbit holes as far as you want to go. Uh, and as always, go to iTunes. Leave us a five-star review. Those things really do help the show. And if you leave one, we will read it on the air. Got one for you right now from Ada Pai D. Uh, says, informative and objective. I'm always seeking to optimize my health and be a better person. And the OPP is a part of that journey. So Ada, thank you so much for that. Uh, that's what it's all about. We're all here on this journey trying to uh, be the most enlightened and evolved humans that we can be and get as much out of this experience as possible. Um, I chose this review for a reason for this episode because that's a lot of what we're talking about today with Ben. We're talking about gratitude and all the many ways that it can help us. Um, so Ada, shoot me an email, ryan at naturalstacks.com. We will hook you up with some free products. And finally, guys, as you listen to this episode, 
share it with people in your life who you know will benefit from the things that we're talking about here today. Um, the subject of gratitude is one that is uh, near and dear to both Ben and I. Um, ben, let's start there. You are sort of like you, I mean, let's just call you like the most life hacked dude on the planet. You, you, you are a thought leader in biohacking and ancestral health and paleo. Uh, we're, we're looking at you now on video. You, you've got this weight room behind you. looks like a punching bag and a, a squat rack. And I see red lights. I know you've got a sauna in your home. You do hashtag all the biohacks. Why, yeah, why, actually, why uh, gratitude? That, that thing you see behind me, that's actually uh not a, well, that, it's a heavy bag to my left, and I'm, I've got my my juve light going right now, which is the infrared light that you can use for uh, testosterone or for uh, improved sense of well-being. Although I do, I'll, I'll assure you, I do have my pants on. My pants are not off right now. It, Thank you. Yeah, d despite the efficacy of having your pants off when you stand in front of these lights, but that that thing that, that you see off to my left. That's a, a brand new device that's that's just gangbusters for increasing mitochondrial density. It's called a Live O2 unit. So I keep it in my in my uh, office now, and I keep an exercise bike next to it, and it allows you to breathe 100% oxygen, and then with the flip of a button, switch yourself into hypoxia. Mm -hmm. So you can alternate back and forth between hypoxia and hyperoxia. And so a typical protocol is you would do, for example, like 10 one minute sprints and 30 seconds of the sprint would be hypoxic and then 30 seconds would be hyperoxic. Then you recover in hypoxia and you wear this little pulse oximeter on your fingertip to see when your blood oxygen levels go below 80%. That's like your sign to start the next sprint. And holy cow, dude, you feel like you've had eight cups of coffee when you get off that thing because you are so chock full of not only oxygen, but also a huge amount of capillarization, vasodilation, specifically to neural tissue. So it's, it's, it's pretty cool. Uh, it was uh, Dr. Mercola actually turned me on to that because he's been studying a lot on, of course, mitochondrial health and cancer. And uh, as an anti-aging technique, uh, it appears that mitochondrial density could be uh, a pretty cool little uh, uh, switch to flip. So I've been uh, well, basically what I've been doing, Ryan, and this is actually related to, to gratitude as well, so we, we can come full circle. I've, I've been doing testing with this company called TeloYears that will test the, the telomeres of your white blood cells to, to test the rate at which they're shortening. And my goal is to, be, to have a biological age of 25 by the time I'm 40. So I'm trying to, uh, to step up my, my hacking game in the realm of anti-aging so that I can do the whole Benjamin Button thing. Let me ask you a question on that. So we've had a yeah. lot of anti-aging experts on the show, um, namely Dr. Bill Andrews. And yeah. you know, what I gathered from him was that at this point, we know a lot of things that can prevent accelerated shortening of the telomeres, but we don't necessarily have anything that can mm -hmm. actively lengthen them. Do you know of anything that can right. actively lengthen them? Or, and I mean, I guess the reason I ask that is you, you say specifically, you want to have the telomere length yeah. of a 25 year old. What, what is your telomere age now? Right. Exactly. My and telomere age now is 36 and I'm 35 years old. And it's probably 36 due to a lifetime of masochistic events, like, you know, competing professionally in Ironman triathlon and Spartan racing. And before that it was bodybuilding, you know, doing, doing a lot of, uh, of crazy shit to my body. 
and I'm, I'm gradually phasing out of all of that and really delving more into either very ancestral fitness practices, uh, specifically a, a lot more of a focus on things like spearfishing and, and bow hunting versus like, you know, 12 hour long races up in the mountains. And then I'm also um, delving into some of these things that, that may indeed uh, provide for lengthening of the telomeres, even though evidence is scant. You know, when we're talking about telomeres, evidence is scant in terms of the ability to be able to lengthen them, even though it might be possible uh, with specifically a, a few different components, uh, adjusting your NAD, NADH ratios. Mm -hmm. uh, so what I'm beginning now is uh, monthly injections of nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide, which you can, you, you can get that from things like teas and a lot of sirtuin-like foods like blueberries and chocolates and green teas. But you can also just like main, mainline NAD into your bloodstream uh, using injections. So uh, how are you or where are you acquiring that? I mean, I know that there are actually some supplements. Uh, what is it? It's Elysium yeah. that, that they do the, like yeah. the precursors for yeah. that. Yeah. Obviously, the, supplement. the problem with, uh, with supplements is, of course, those are dependent upon gut integrity and dependent upon bypassing the digestive process. So, right. you know, it's similar to take vitamin C or, or glutathione or anything like that, right? Like I don't, I don't take glutathione orally. I get glutathione from a physician and I inject it once a week. Uh, in, in a large dose intramuscularly mm -hmm. in the same way that, that you might do uh, testosterone, for example. Mm -hmm. um, another example would be, um, you know, just a basic Myers cocktail, right? So once a week I do a vitamin injection rather than relying solely upon a multivitamin to just, just because when you mainline it, there's, there's so much more that happens. And, uh, you know, for me specifically, uh, the reason for that is twofold. One, it's more efficient. And two, I'm, I'm also a fan of Eastern medicine. And so my, my primary care physician is an acupuncturist and Eastern uh, medicine practitioner. And there's two areas of deficiency I have are stomach deficiency and spleen deficiency. Okay. And what that means is that the flow of nutrients from the digestive tract into the bloodstream tends to be slightly impeded. So I actually do better when I just put things straight into my bloodstream. And one of the reasons that, that the key in those areas is low is because of my, my hard charging physical lifestyle. You know, I'm still competing professionally in obstacle course racing. I've got uh, not only a lot of, of gut damage that occurs from that, but also a lot of blood flow that doesn't wind up in the digestive tract. So, you know, uh, similarly, something, you know, you asked about sourcing for something like NAD, uh, that's a physician that actually sends those to me. Um, and another example would be like higher dose astragalus, right? That, that's another, uh, it, it's another kind of like tonic. Uh, you could almost say it's, uh, it's an adaptogen in a way. Uh, that has a pretty potent anti-aging effect as well. There's a lot of different things out there. You know, it appears that similar to something like a, like an Alzheimer's approach or even a cancer approach, the approach to anti-aging is multimodal. You know, probably the best person to look to for that is a guy like Aubrey de Grey, right? Who talks about what, like seven different reasons that cells might become senescent or that disease might, uh, might attack a human body prematurely. And you know, the, the way that you approach it is not simply by drinking more green tea or, you know, uh, uh, you know, eating plant-based foods and wild sources of antioxidants or having more love and relationships in your life. You know, it's all these different things put together that seem to help. And so from an anti-aging perspective, I'm, you know, I'm coming at it from, from a standpoint of light, air, water, electricity, movement, food, nutrients, uh, and, you know, and, and even this, this other thing that, that we're talking about uh, today, gratitude, you know, the practice of, of positive emotions. Um, 
And, and for me, uh, the, my, my first foray into the realm of gratitude actually didn't occur with the science of gratitude, which I'm, I'm sure we can delve into uh, in terms of what happens physiologically when you practice gratitude. But for me, it was that I, I, I really got into journaling. And I'm sure you're familiar with a lot of the journals out there, the Productivity Planner, the Five Minute Journal. Um, there, there's, I think, one called the Mastery Journal. There's a whole bunch of different journals out there. And I, I am a huge fan of, of waking up in the morning or going to bed at night and writing in a journal. And it's not only useful for improving your, your positive outlook on life, but for me, it's also about creativity. So, for example, are you familiar with morning pages, Ryan? Yes. Yeah, so you get up in the morning and you spark creativity. Uh, for me as a blogger and a, and a podcaster and a content creator, this is quite useful. I, I spend about 20 minutes writing fiction in the morning. Mm-hmm. And I just set my stopwatch and I sit down before the kids have gotten up and the house is nice and quiet. And I sit there and I sit my coffee and I write fiction and it really expands my mind and opens up my mind and helps me with lateral thinking. And I, mm-hmm. I, I would imagine that, you know, when you, when you look at folks who are like microdosing with LSD, for example, to enhance their lateral thinking patterns, that a similar, uh, a similar thing occurs in terms of almost shutting down some parts of the frontal cortex responsible for simply uh, engaging in left brain thinking and kind of allowing yourself to 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 delve into the right brain a little bit more at the beginning of the day. And I have a far more creative and productive day when I begin the day with some type of fiction writing. Mm-hmm. Well, in, in a similar manner, I found that when I journal, I would also have a better day. I would have more clarity about what I wanted to accomplish during the day. And I would also feel a a bit more grateful about what it was that had occurred to me that day if I was journaling in the evening. But the problem that that I personally experienced with journaling was um, a a lot of times it's not necessarily, uh, it it can seem selfish sometimes, right? Like a lot of journals are... me, 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 I, 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 my daily affirmation, what is it that I want to accomplish? And so what I, what I began to develop for myself was I would wake up each day and I would write down one thing I was grateful for. And I started doing this two years ago. One thing I was grateful for, uh, one truth that I discovered in that morning's reading. And the reason for that is it's very easy to wake up in the morning. And, and for me, I'll read something spiritual or something devotional or something that would be considered a little bit more woo-woo versus like the science and the health books that I read in the evening. And I find that when you're digging the eye crust out of your eyes and kind of like barely glancing at the page and thinking about what might be going on in the email inbox, you don't read with intention. But when you know you have to, you have to respond to a question after you've read, uh, you do read with intention and with a lot more awareness. And so... Uh, in addition to writing down one thing that I am grateful for each morning, I write down what truth did I discover in today's reading? And then the final question that I answer is who can I pray for or help or serve today? So rather than writing down my daily affirmation, I choose one person and it might be my mom. It might be the neighbor. It might be a friend who I haven't spoken to in a while. It might be uh, an employee, but someone who I can either call or who I can pray for or whose house I can show up to and I can help them. Uh, it really depends on you know how intensive that day is. But you begin your day with a focus on a truth, a focus on that person who you can help, and then a focus on you know really what I consider to be one of the most powerful and life-changing emotions, gratitude. And so 
this is what I do. This is what my kids do every morning. It's what my wife does. And, uh, and, and what I found after beginning to do this was that I'd feel really good. So I started to look into what actually, what, what's happening, you know, on a physiological level when you're practicing gratitude. And it turns out a lot of really cool things kick in that go way above and beyond just that woo woo sense of, of feeling better about yourself. Yeah. So walk us through some of those, uh, the, you know, some of the research back, you know, scientific changes that are happening. What are some of the things that you discovered? Yeah. Well, well, the first would just be the, the pure physical reaction to gratitude. So uh, it, it appears that, and, and there's, there's a few different studies about this. There was one study in 2012 that looked into just aches and pains and fibromyalgic-like symptoms. And they found that grateful people actually have significantly fewer aches and pains. Now, and this may seem ironic, but they tend to be at the doctor more. And, and the reason for that is they're more proactive about their health. They're more preventive about their health. They seem to go into the doctor for checkups more uh, and it, it is kind of interesting because I find that when I'm grateful, I care more about my body. I engage in more self-love. And for me, that's anything from like dry skin brushing to coconut oil pulling to, you know, getting in the sauna to engaging in some of these anti-aging protocols that you and I were talking about earlier. But it seems like you care for your body a little bit more intensively. And we, we can go later into what kind of changes occur in the different cortices of the brain when you engage in a daily gratefulness practice that allow you to be more aware of others. But it appears there's a, there's a great, a, a much higher sense of self-awareness mm -hmm. and specifically a decrease in aches and pains and issues with like joints and muscles with things that uh, specifically uh, and, and by the way, a little, uh, a little note just popped up on my computer telling me that my internet connection was unstable. Can you still hear me? Okay. I've, I've got you. Yep. Okay, cool. So specifically, uh, when you trigger the parasympathetic nervous system, you tend to see a little bit of a decrease in cortisol, but you also see an increase in, uh, in a hormone that, that I actually used to inject just to see what it would feel like to inject. It's known as the trust hormone. You know, women release it when they're breastfeeding, uh, couples release it after sex, uh, and, and it, it, it's a very, very, uh, very, very feel good hormone like serotonin or dopamine that's oxytocin. And it appears that, that, that particular hormone, uh, can, uh, can increase in response to gratefulness. And that also can act as a little bit of a painkiller. And so this decrease in aches and pains from a hormonal standpoint is probably related to a triggering of the parasympathetic nervous system, decrease in cortisol and an increase in oxytocin. Uh, but when it comes to to physical health, uh, the other two things that I find intriguing, uh, one would be related to that activation of the parasympathetic nervous system, and that would be a decrease in heart disease. Uh, there was... There was a really interesting, it wasn't super large, it was over 200 people, and they looked at sustained high blood pressure and the risk of a heart attack, and they actually found a lower risk of heart disease and lower blood pressure in people who were engaging in a daily gratitude practice, specifically in the, during the day writing down two or three things that they were grateful for. And in addition to that, in that particular study, they did a measurement of HSCRP, an inflammatory marker related to anything from, from heart attack to muscle damage to, you know, food allergy responses to chronic inflammation. And they found HSCRP was significantly lower as well. 
And so we see decreased inflammation. We see increased activation of the parasympathetic nervous system accompanied by a decrease in cortisol and an increase in oxytocin. Uh, and then also a decrease in blood pressure. So it's almost like this cluster of effects mm -hmm. that would not only lead to better well-being and fewer joint aches and pains, but uh, better heart health and better strength of the nervous system. Uh, for me particularly, by the way, when I measure that, and I, I measure my heart rate variability every single morning, and when I'm engaged in my daily gratitude practice, that's one of the things that keeps it high, specifically by increasing what is called the high-frequency score. Uh, we, and, the, and the HF score is a measurement of your parasympathetic nervous system. So you can actually strap on a freaking heart rate monitor, you know, like a Bluetooth-enabled heart rate monitor, and use uh, use a heart rate variabil variability app and, and quantify this as you're practicing your, your gratitude journaling. So simple question here, because if I don't ask, everybody will be upset. What are you using to measure your HRV? Well, I, I use two things. Um, number one uh, is a Viva heart rate monitor. This is a Bluetooth-enabled heart rate monitor that does a really good job at detecting interbeat individuality. Uh, there, are, there are other Bluetooth-enabled heart rate monitors out there, like the Polar H7 is not bad. But what you need is a good heart rate monitor strap that, that you, that you, you know, when I wake up in the morning, I just roll over and, and put it around my chest. And, and I do apply a little bit of electro gel to that to enhance the connection. Uh, but it's V-I-I-I-V-A. Really uh, weird pronunciation or spelling of, of Viva, but that's, that's what that company chose to do. So it's called Viva. And then what I do is I sync that to an app that, uh, that I personally uh, designed and uh, well, I, I didn't design it, but I, uh, I uh, helped to create it. It's called the Nature Beat app, the Nature Beat app. And that allows me to look at LF, uh, the strength of the uh, parasympathetic nervous system and my HF, the strength of my sympathetic nervous system, along with a variety of other things, you know, everything from paraventricular contractions to heart rate variability. Mm -hmm so on and so forth. And so I use the Viva and I use the Nature Beat. That's my one-two combo. And the reason that I use that one-two combo is there is a newer device that will pair with the Nature Beat called the Life Track. And it is a wrist-worn monitor, which for some people, it's a little less of a hassle than a chest strap. But the problem is, just this is just a practical thing, I can't gratitude journal when I'm wearing the wrist monitor because the movement of the hand disrupts the signal. So I use the, I use the chest strap, uh, even though the, the wrist one is a little bit more convenient. Uh, so, the, so that's one thing that I'll use is the Bluetooth-enabled heart rate strap combined with the NatureBeat app. And then the other thing that I use that measures my heart rate variability throughout the entire night, but without emanating a Bluetooth signal, so I'm not constantly irradiating my body during the night, is an Aura Ring, O-U-R-A. And this will measure heart rate variability, body temperature, heart rate, sleep cycles. So that's what I use to track my sleep. But interestingly, it also tracks heart rate variability throughout the entire night. So I can get a real-time measurement all night long as I'm sleeping. And then when I wake up in the morning, I can do this check-in with the, with the HRV monitor and the Viva so that I can kind of differentiate between my parasympathetic and my sympathetic score and look at some of the deeper information that the Nature Bee gives me. Gotcha. That's great stuff. Let's circle back because I can't, um, I can't skip the fact that you said you used to inject oxytocin. <laughs> what made you want to experiment with that and, and what were some of your findings there? Well, oxytocin 
certain, actually a really interesting hormone in terms of its ability to aim to increase mood, uh, to increase feelings of trust and closeness with those you are connected with and to enhance uh, your feelings of pleasure during sex. And so what I got was, and, and it also is actually quite good for sleep when taken before bed. So uh, it's, it's not approved for human consumption or human use, but you can order it off of some chemical websites. So I got oxytocin and uh, reconstituted that and I would inject it uh, several times per week, typically prior to sex or prior to bed. I took it a few times during the day. Uh, and what I noted, number one, was a huge amount of, of increased ability to be able to, uh, to interact with people and specifically interact with people in an empathetic way. Uh, because it's a, the trust hormone, it's actually not something you'd want to have in your body if you were like negotiating to purchase a car or you were like arguing with someone because you, you really aren't that divisive at all. You're almost too nice. Right. Uh, so that was one thing was, was my nice factor went up a lot. Um, the uh, quality and the intensity of my orgasms went through the roof when injecting it. And by the way, I no longer inject it because I have uh, I, I have um, suspicions that that it, it may decrease endogenous production. So I want to be a little bit careful, but I at least want to know what it, it would feel like. Uh, really good sleep, uh, definitely enhanced sleep cycles, and I slept in a little bit more each morning, probably just because I was so so trusting and carefree from all that oxytocin that I really didn't give a crap when I woke up about getting much done. Um, and uh, overall, a, a feeling of a really enhanced well-being and happiness. So yeah, it's kind of like that that happiness trust hormone. You know, it, it basically, the, the best thing I, I can equate it with is how you feel after you've had a really good orgasm for the next couple of hours. All right. All right. Let's go back to gratitude. Um, yeah, sure. So we talked about physical health. What about mental health? Uh, yeah, and mental health. This is one that probably wouldn't surprise many people that there is a link between gratitude and your feeling of well-being, your feeling of satisfaction with life, and also just a lower level of psychological distress altogether. Um, meaning we tend to see lower depression. And there's a cluster of studies that looked into this, over a dozen studies that looked into everything from post-traumatic stress disorder to depression to higher scores on like profile of mood state scores to greater levels of life satisfaction to a whole host of factors that improve psychological health. But most, really most compelling for me is the fact that because I, I really am drawn quite a bit to biology and to physiology is the fact that when you look at, at everything from like, you know, Bruce Lipton's book, Biology of Belief, where he goes into the effects of emotions and beliefs, specifically on the voltage of electrochemical membranes and how we tend to see changes in the actual vibration in certain tissues in a very similar way to Masoro Emoto's studies of, of like prayer and positive emotions over water or the practice in, you know, the, the Eastern practice of Qigong and actually uh, praying or blessing food with your hands by moving the hands in an energetic way over food and letting the, you know, the, the invisible yet, uh, yet measurable photonic energy from the hands actually influence the taste of the food and the quality of the food or the drink. Um, the ability of, of negative emotions such as cancer to, or negative emotions such as, such as anger uh, or fear or shame to be associated with cancer and other diseases. This is where, where I find things to be quite intriguing because there's a definite link between 
positive emotions, positive beliefs, absence of depression, better self-esteem, and better psychological states altogether, and absence of disease, and improved cellular functioning, and specifically even a change in cell voltage. And if you want to look into this change in cell voltage deal, and, and the link between that and emotions and beliefs and a positive outlook on life, there's a really good book about this called Healing is Voltage by Dr. Jerry Tennant. Uh, that, that takes a deep dive into quantum physics and photonic energy, the vibration of cells, and the subsequent change in the uh, in the electrical status of the membrane on the cell, you know, and the ability of, of nutrients and inflammation and everything to move in and out of a cell, and one's emotional state. We all know this to be true, right? Deep down inside, you know that when you feel crappy, a lot of times you can get sick more easily. Mm-hmm. We know those angry, hateful people who strange enough, wind up having things like bone cancer or those people who seem like really uptight, right? They wind up with colon cancer. And like, these are things that we all know, but that modern medicine, you know, you don't find it on WebMD much just because it's difficult to, to prove. Now, however, I find it fascinating that, that when you are happy, when you're more satisfied, you do feel better and you do have, uh, uh, it, it would appear, a much, much better chance of having absence of disease. I'm not saying you'll never get sick, you'll never get cancer if you practice gratitude. But what I am saying is that there's a definite correlation between psychological health and physical well-being. Yeah, and some of these books that you mentioned are great bridges between sort of that woo-woo esoteric stuff and the concrete science that a lot of people you know, demand yeah. before they believe or buy into something. Right. So when you, when you, when you look at Bruce Lipton, he has measured protein configurations and their changes in response to belief patterns. When you look at Dr. Jerry Tennant, he's measured the changes in the, the voltage, the electrochemical membrane potential in response to positive emotions and beliefs. When you look at Dr. David Hawkins, he has measured uh, muscle strength in response to feelings of peace and love and joy versus anger and fear and shame. All three of these gentlemen have great books. Uh, you know, Bruce Lipton's Biology of Belief, Jerry Tennant's uh, Healing is Voltage. Um, David Hawkins has a whole bunch of books, but Healing and Recovery is one of the better ones. And all these guys really do a great job of, of laying this out in a way that allows you to really understand and wrap your head around the intimate link between a better psychological state and better physical health. I've always been a big fan of David Hawkins. Yeah. So we got physical health, we've got mental health, uh, gratitude impacts sleep as well, right? How can that, how can practicing gratitude help us get better sleep? Yeah. Um, there's one study in 2011 that found that it was before bed, right? So, so gratefulness for about 10 to 15 minutes. And frankly, I, you know, for me, it's like two to five minutes, right? It doesn't take me long to think of something I'm grateful for and write it down. I generally do it in the morning. You can, but what, what I do is my children and I gather on the table at night and we say what we were grateful for that morning with our gratitude journals. So we all bring our gratitude journals to the table. So we kind of write it down in the morning and then revisit it in the evening. But that study in 2011 was in applied psychology and they found uh, longer sleep times and enhanced quality of deep sleep. Uh, there was another 2009 study that was in the Journal of Psychosomatic Research that also found out that people who expressed gratitude, they slept better and they slept longer compared to people who did not practice gratitude. Um, there was a 2015 study in the Journal of Health Psychology 
that showed improved quality of sleep. And when I say quality of sleep, we're talking about more normalized sleep patterns, right? Like your, your phase one to your phase four sleep, uh, which, which you should be getting four to five cycles of during the night. And you should be spending anywhere from 10 to about 20% of that cycle in deep sleep or 10 to 20% of that time in deep sleep. All these parameters improve in people who have a gratitude practice. Uh, Deepak Chopra most recently uh, oversaw a study at UC San Diego that showed that gratitude was associated with, uh, among other things, including lower fatigue and less depression and improved cardiovascular function, uh, better sleep. You know, I, I'm really glad you, you brought up the part about time, you know, that it doesn't take you 15 minutes to, you know, write down what you need to write down. Um, it reminds me of something from the book Originals. Uh, I'm, I'd be willing to bet that you're familiar with that book, but in that book, they talk about uh, an exercise where they had people list either three things or 12 things that they were grateful for or that they liked about their lives. And the folks who only had to write three things came up with those three things very, very quickly. And it left them feeling very positive because it was very easy to fill or complete that list. On the other hand, the people who had to write 12 things struggled to come up with 12 things. So it left them sort of feeling empty and uh, they didn't get that desired effect, which is really interesting. Um, I think it, you know, it, it, you shouldn't be that hard pressed to come up with 12 things. You just start counting body parts that you still have and are grateful for. But right. The point is, you know, sometimes shorter might be better than longer for these journaling sessions because it's much easier for you to sort of fill or, or go over on time, which leaves you with a lasting feeling of, wow, I've got more blessings than I can count in this allotted time. Yeah. And, and like the gratitude journal that, that I use and, and, you know, I, I recently began publishing it is just one thing, right? It's what's one truth that I discovered in today's reading What's one thing that I'm grateful for? And then who's one person I could pray for or help or serve today? So it's, uh, don't get me wrong. I probably could have put three in there and most people could handle three, but I'm freaking busy. Like I, I can do my gratitude journaling for about five to 10 minutes in the morning, especially when I'm still doing my reading before that. Right. So that leaves me in bed about 15 minutes. Uh, you need about five to get an accurate heart rate variability measurement. So I'm laying there anyways. But one thing, uh, one thing works for me, especially for me with a family, you know, when you're going around with your family and everybody at night is telling one thing that they're grateful for. If we were all saying three things, you know, there'd be 12 things as a family. So we have a family of four, you know, so dinner starts to get a little long in the tooth. So so yeah, I think I think one's good. Three yeah. three is great. Twelve sounds exhausting, but but one for me works pretty well. You mentioned that you just started publishing this. The the Kickstarter launched the same week that this podcast is airing. Um, tell us a little bit about the project and the Kickstarter. Yeah, and and I definitely do have a few of the things I found out about gratitude from a scientific standpoint. Oh, I can we'll, share. Yeah, we'll we'll get we'll get right back to those. But since you brought yeah. it up, let's let's talk about it. Sure. So what I did was I simply took, uh, I took all, all three questions that I answer each morning and wrote a really good introduction that lays out some of the science we're talking about today and also some tips about what I read and some of the things that I read, uh, some useful websites and resources, uh, how to actually gratitude journal effectively. And I put all that in, in a good introduction. And then I laid out about six months worth of logging. And there's an inspirational quote at the top of each page excuse me, page that you can read. If you don't have time to read anything else, you can at least have that quote be the thing that you read for your one truth to discover that day. 
Uh, and then at the end, there's a place where you can take extra notes if you want to take extra notes. And it simply walks you through every single day. What am I grateful for? What truth did I discover today? And who can I pray for or help or serve? And you simply commit to, and, and there's a little commitment at the beginning of the journal where, uh, and my, my friends at the five minute journal, uh, UJ, uh, Ramdas and, and um, Alex Icon, they've, uh, they've co-published this journal with me. So, so I got a great deal of insight from them because they published the five minute journal and, uh, and the gratitude journal that I've developed is called the Christian gratitude journal. It's, it's basically kind of like a hybrid version of that journal with my own little twists that, that we've been talking about thrown in. And so these guys already had developed a really good process for helping folks to adhere to a journal, mm-hmm. uh, meaning that there's a, there's a series of questions that you respond to in the beginning of the journal. There are commitments that you make. You write down what you're going to reward yourself with. All these things that seem silly, but that actually help you to stick with it mm-hmm. big time. And then you launch into the journal a six months worth of, of journaling. And it's, it's this beautiful, tiny book uh, that you can take with you anywhere you go. You know, I travel all over the world, so I didn't want a, a great big dictionary sized journal, but just like a, you know, tiny little journal that, that I could, I could beat up, toss my bag, whip out when I was laying in bed every morning and writing it. And so, uh, so yeah, I mean, my, my kids and my wife and I travel all over the world with this thing. And, uh, we decided to, to actually publish it and make it this beautiful little dark gray hardcover, uh, bound book that others can use too. And so, uh, so yeah, you're right. It, it just came out this week. It's called the Christian gratitude journal. And we decided to, to put it out there on Kickstarter. So there's actually a Kickstarter campaign going for it, uh, that admittedly, I don't even know the URL for, but I'm sure you could find it. If you go to, if you go to your website, Ryan and, uh, and search there. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll put a link to the Kickstarter page on the blog post for this, for you guys. Um, we'll put it on all the social media posts as well. Um, so Ben, you mentioned in the beginning of the uh, published journal that you've created that you have sort of some best practices. What are some of the obstacles or, or maybe like the number one mistake that you see people making when they try to start or you know, stick to a gratitude journaling uh, practice? Well, we've already covered one, thinking that you have to think of more things than one. And it really can be just one thing that you need to think of. Another thing would be the temptation to leap out of bed in the morning. And of course, for health reasons, my phone is in airplane mode while I'm asleep anyways. I do play binaural beats. I use a little app called Sleepstream or Brain FM to play beats into my ears while I'm asleep. And so my phone is there in the room, but it's in airplane mode. It's off. I just use a little pair of soft headphones called sleep phones because I'm a side sleeper. And so I, I sleep like that with my with my phone on, but I don't flip it on in the morning aside from just putting the Bluetooth on so I can do that heart rate measurement. But I keep the airplane mode on when I put the Bluetooth on and that keeps things from distracting me from doing my actual journaling. Now, I am in the process of developing an app for this journal and I'll develop the app in such a way that it can also be used in airplane mode. So that's one thing because we all know when you turn on your phone and all the bullets start flying from, from your phone, you know, it's like the matrix as you're leaning back and dodging all the text messages and push notifications. So the phone off is another one. And then the, the final thing that helps me in addition to just not feeling pressure to gratitude for a lot of things, keeping the phone in airplane mode, uh, is having that sense of affluence of time when I wake, meaning that I'm a big fan of breath work, right? Deep nasal breathing, uh, and of starting the day in, in a way that allows you to ease into your day. So I don't do hard workouts 
in the morning. I really focus on the parasympathetic nervous system. So a little bit of yoga, a walk in the sunshine, an easy swim, things along those lines. And the, the same can be said for when I wake up in the morning and I'm laying in bed. I have that sense that, you know, that deep breath in, out through the mouth, there's time. I don't have to jump out of bed. Even if I'm super excited about what the day has to bring, I have five minutes or 10 minutes to just lay here and do my thing and engage in my self-care, engage in my gratitude practice. And there's always going to be time for the other things. And, you know, time, time is a construct, right? And if you understand that even though there are 24 hours in a day, if you think of time as something that will always be available, for some reason, it always seems like there's more time available. I know it sounds silly and it sounds woo-woo, but it works for me. And so that's another thing that I do is I resist that urge to think that I have to leap out of bed and get stuff done because the clock's a ticking. Instead, I just wake up and I think, okay, there's time for everything. And for me, breath work helps a lot with that. And there's a ton of great books on breath work. You know, there's Breathe by Belissa Vranich and there's The Oxygen Advantage by Patrick McCown. And a really good recent one that I read uh, with that breathing in through the nose, out through the mouth. This one flies under the radar. It's called Let Every Breath. And it's actually a book on the martial arts practice of Sistema, the Russian martial arts practice of Sistema. But it's a really good treatise on breathing. It's called Let Every Breath. That one's been quite helpful as well. Um, but yeah, tying in breath work to that affluence of time, writing down just one thing and then keeping the phone off and push notifications off. Those are a few things that really help me out. All right. Beautiful. Um, so back to some of the science, because I know you want to share all of this with our listeners. Um, improves resiliency, right? And makes other changes in our brain. Yeah, there were there there have been a couple studies on that. Uh, one was in Vietnam War vets, and they found that people who had higher levels of gratitude were less impacted by uh, post traumatic stress disorder, and they actually were more, in words of the the scientists who ran the the study, they were more resilient, uh, more better able to deal with stress. You know, when we look at our heart rate variability response to something like. Uh, you know, whether it's a, a workout or daily rigors of stress or sickness or anything like that, increased nervous system resilience is actually something that, that's quite handy to, to have in your toolbox as a human being. Uh, the other thing was uh, in 2003, there was a study in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology. And this one actually found people with neuromuscular disease. We're talking about things like MS. Mm -hmm. The folks who kept gratitude journals had a greater sense of well-being and they had more positive moods. Uh, compared with other people who still had the disease, but who didn't make those lists. So it appears that that when we're sick, when we're ill, when we have disease, we're more resilient when we count the things that we are grateful for. So it appears that you know, in the absence of disease, it can improve resilience. In the presence of disease, it can also improve resilience. And so we're just talking about being better able to handle the stressors in life mm -hmm. from both a physical and an emotional standpoint. You think that part of that increased resiliency and the ability to better able handle stressors is because gratitude is a practice that gives us more time in that parasympathetic state, at least in some part. Yeah. yeah I suspect that in the same way that laughter and chanting and humming and singing and meditation and positive social relationships can increase the strength of the vagus nerve, which snakes through the entire body and innervates nearly every organ, gratitude because of the increase in positive emotions can do something very, very similarly. An increased vagal nerve tone is intimately related to strength of the parasympathetic nervous system and nervous system resilience overall. 
I'm sure you know this, but for our listeners, Vegas, that nerve is named such because uh, it, it wanders. Like Vegas, like the origin of that word is wanderer, and it's a wandering nerve. Yeah, that's right. And now everybody's going to win when that pops up in Trivial Pursuit. There you go. Um, so another thing that I wanted to add to that, uh, that last statement that you were making, um, you know, when we're talking about in certain disease states, um, you know, some of the stuff that I found on gratitude was, you know, and, and you mentioned talking about the areas of the brain earlier. So maybe now we dive into some of that, but, you know, we know gratitude activates the brainstem region that produces dopamine. Um, practicing gratitude boosts both dopamine and serotonin. Our audience is very familiar with these neurotransmitters and, and how they can impact our health. But, you know, dopamine is intricately involved in movement. Uh, and neuromuscular disorders or dysfunction, uh, as well as you know, serotonin being the, the hormone that regulates mood and anxiety. So it would make sense that something that boosts both dopamine and serotonin could have such a, an impact on physiology. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it appears that it actually changes the brain. Like, like these changes can actually be permanent. So we're not talking about like a temporary release in some of these neurotransmitters or some of these biochemicals. But uh, for example, there was this really interesting, albeit somewhat complicated study in which they, this was at Indiana University, they recruited a bunch of people uh, who had anxiety and who had depression, and they basically gave these people imaginary benefactors who would give them money. And the way that the participant in the study could express their gratitude for that monetary gift was if they'd give that donation to, to a third party or to a charity. And they found that the more money the participants in the study gave away that they'd been gifted with, the stronger feelings of gratitude they reported feeling. So they were measuring gratitude basically by, by saying, okay, you're really grateful for this money that a benefactor gave you. And now not only are you grateful for it, but how much are you willing to give away? And they found that the stronger the feeling of gratitude and the more money the participant gave away, the more activity they showed in a whole bunch of regions of the brain, particularly the, the frontal and the parietal and the occipital regions. And the neural activity patterns in this brain were heavily associated with empathy, with the ability to be able to engage in positive social interactions with others, and also to be able to, to understand others better and to be able to empathize with them better. And the researchers actually came back and they measured these people months later and the people showed even more of this gratitude-related brain activity in the scanner compared to the folks who had showed less gratitude or given away less of the money. And so what the researcher said was that the neural effects of gratitude were profound and long-lasting and particularly noteworthy uh, in one region of the brain called the pregenual anterior cingulate. And this is the part of the brain that uh, predicts the effects of one's own action on other people, meaning your ability to be able to say, okay, if I help this person, this is how they're going to feel. Or if I mean to this person, this is how they're going to feel. It appears that people who practice gratitude are much, much better able to be able to assess the impact of positive or negative emotions that they display on other people and that these changes seem to grow over time in response to a gratitude practice. So that was one study that looked into the long-term effects of gratitude on brain patterns. There was another study that they did uh, at the Shoah Foundation, which is at USC, 
And uh, in this study, they they took a whole bunch of people who were asked to immerse themselves in the context of the Holocaust and imagine how they would feel if they were in the same situation. And then also rate their feelings of gratefulness. And they were actually testing them with an fMRI machine. And what they found was that people who were able to uh, to, to look over all these Holocaust testimonies about being hidden by strangers during the middle of the night or being given a new pair of shoes during a wintertime march or getting, you know, things, things like bread given to them when they were starving. These people who, who were actually uh, engaged in gratefulness more intensively or had what, what the researchers called more grateful brains had a whole bunch more activity in two primary regions of the brain one called the anterior cingulate cortex and one called the medial prefrontal cortex. Both those regions of the brain are heavily associated, and this is pretty cool, Ryan, with emotional processing, with interpersonal bonding, and with rewarding social interactions, moral judgments, and the ability to understand the mental states of others. And so what this means is that gratitude not only shows up in your brain changes your brain long-term and activates certain areas of the brain associated with positive emotions and better well-being, but it also allows you to more successfully interact with others in social situations and better understand anybody around you. That's amazing stuff. I really love, you know, the one thing that they kind of found that it's as much about what you give as, as what you have or what you get. You know, when you think about gratitude, typically we, we think about the things that we have been given or the things that we have. Um, I really love that, you know, there's an emphasis in that particular segment. Well, about what you yeah. and, and this ties in to the way that I've structured this journal, right? Cause you're saying what you're grateful for, mm -hmm. but then you're saying, who can you help that day? Right. Right. And, and you would be amazed. And, it, and the gratefulness question comes first. You would be amazed at how much differently you respond to or you have difficulty responding to that question of who you could help that day when you haven't yet responded to the gratefulness question. Mm -hmm. But as soon as you dump those gratitude emotions into your brain, all of a sudden you think of all these people who you could help. It's really strange. And that's something that surprised me. I didn't understand it until I started to delve into the science. But it turns out that you actually become a more giving, caring, loving person when you do something as simple as simply say that one thing that you're grateful for each day. That's beautiful stuff, man. Um, ben, I got one final question for you on the journal itself. Um, you're calling it a Christian gratitude journal. Do you worry at all that calling it a Christian journal will have maybe create an unintended barrier for maybe somebody who doesn't define themselves as a Christian? Yeah, I do. But at the same time, I, you know, I'm personally a Christian. And in addition to that, because Christianity, and it's not the only religion that does this, but it's the one that I have the most experience with, it is tied into the fact that you believe that there is a higher power that there is a story written for your life, that you're not a random piece of flesh flying on a rock through space, but that instead there is a meaning and there is a purpose. And if you read like J.R.R. Tolkien, 
uh, and you're reading about like Bilbo going off to fight the dragon, well, that's a story, right? You know that that Bilbo isn't just on some random quest, but Tolkien has sat down and penned out this entire story for you to sit down and read. And that idea that there's a higher power in charge of your life or assisting you with your life, and there's this story that you're on this planet to live out, not only is that an incredibly encouraging way to live life, but they've also found that, and I'm sure you've read Dan Buettner's Blue Zones and seen some of these, these stories about longevity and the longest living populations on the face of the planet or the places that have very, very high densities of centenarians. They found that a big, big part of it is not only, you know, eating plants and oddly enough, eating, eating legumes and, you know, walking a lot and engaging in low-level physical activity uh, and, you know, consuming a lot of tannins like teas or wines or, you know, chocolates or green tea or blueberries, but they found love, family and relationships and belief in a higher power are a couple of the other things that really assist with longevity and improved health outcomes. So uh, Christianity, obviously, there's a huge part of Christianity that's focused on belief in a higher power. There are hundreds of verses in the Bible about gratitude and the importance of not just gratitude, but also love and peace and joy, three other extremely important emotions. And so for me, if I was going to pen and design a journal and put my stamp of, of approval or just my stamp of identity on a journal, I decided I wanted to call it the Christian Gratitude Journal just because that's who I am. And yeah, it, I, I realize it does alienate a lot of folks. Like, you know, my, my Buddhist friends or my Muslim friends probably aren't going to whip out their Christian Gratitude Journals in public. But I would still hope that they would get some, some value out of those three simple questions. Uh, what am I grateful for today? What truth did I discover in today's reading? And who can I help or pray for or serve that day? So, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's in the same way that, you know, I can get alienated by being an omnivore rather than a vegan or rather than a paleo enthusiast in the same way that I can get alienated from being a, you know, a hardcore endurance athlete instead of a power lifter. But you know what, I'm just going to be who I am. And if what I do to, ha to help myself and my family helps other people, then I'm happy with it. Yeah, I mean, let's not let that label stop us from experiencing the benefits that we can get from the journal itself. Yeah. And, and for me to call it like the spiritual gratitude journal or the Ben Greenfield gratitude journal, uh, or the, you know, whatever the others facing gratitude, like anything else, it, it almost seems to me like a little bit of a cop out on my part. I'm like, you know what, if, if, if I'm a Christian and I believe in God and I attribute a great deal of what I've learned about gratefulness and helping and praying for and serving others and discovering truths to God and my own Christian practice, I'm just going to freaking put it on the journal. And, and, and I feel, I feel good about that. And I feel as though, um, I, I, I feel as though I didn't shirk away from what my heart was telling me to do. Well said, Ben, this has been an amazing podcast. There's so much information in here. Let's get one more question your way. Um, You've already answered the question. You've been on the podcast before. So if people haven't heard that one, it was really, really early on, like maybe episode eight or something. You answered your, the top three tips to live optimal question in that appearance. So, you know, maybe let's, let's shift it a little bit and say your top three practices that you're using to decrease your telomere age. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's a good one. Uh, let's see. 
Number one would be breath work and specifically the use of, of hypoxia and hyperoxia. So whether you can hunt down a local hyperbaric oxygen therapy chamber type of setting or whether you can purchase like a unit from Hypoxico or I actually have, have one from Hypoxico and one from LiveO2. These are investments. Don't get me wrong. We're, we're talking about saving up your money and we're talking about like a 3000 to $7,000 investment in a unit like this. But the ability to be able to play with oxygen if you don't have the capability to be able to, and they've shown that people in Boulder, for example, live longer, um, you know, in any, any location that's at a higher altitude uh, where you can kind of get a little bit of hypoxia and then, you know, make forays into hyperoxic environments like visits to the ocean. Um, either way, figure out a way to replicate that in your own home. And um, I'm a big fan of playing around with oxygen and breath work. And, and, you know, Ryan will put a link to some of those breathing books that I talked about in the show notes, I'm sure, like the list of Randich book, Breathe, and Patrick McCown's Oxygen Advantage, or the book Let Every Breath. But really familiarize yourself with breath work and oxygen practice. So that's one. Um, number two would be the use of adaptogenic herbs. Uh, and adaptogenic herbs would include things like astragalus. Many of them are NAD precursors. When you look at things like cooperzine or club moss or ginseng or even some of these uh, these Chinese herbs purported to increase the flow of life force or energy or chi throughout the body, uh, that that's what I would do. And you know what I personally did was I actually chose for my my local personal care physician to be. A, an Eastern medical practitioner who specializes in things, things like acupuncture and Chinese herbology. And I feel that paying attention to that just based on the effects that some of these adaptogenic herbs and Chinese herbs seem to have on telomere length, that would be number two, would be embrace some type of an Eastern medicine approach and even have your primary care practitioner be well-versed in that. You know, for example, I'm even doing acupuncture now once every week. So instead of taking my afternoon nap, I ride my bicycle down to his office and lay on his table for an hour with needles and the specific portions of my body that, that he's recommended. So so that, that would be number two. Um, number three, I would say would be um, uh, use hormesis, but specifically the way that I use hormesis, that, that's pretty easy for me, you know, engaging in, in mild amounts of stress each day is I do three things each day. Um, I get really cold at least once each day. And for me, that's typically a very cold shower at the beginning of the day. Um, I get really hot at least one, once each day. And usually that's after I finish my workout, hunting down a sauna. Most gyms have a sauna. Uh, I have an, an infrared sauna that I put in my basement that I can just flip on before a workout. And even if I'm going in there to cool down, or alternatively, if I have some reading that I need to catch up on, I'll just go in there and do my reading. But I get cold each day, I get hot each day, and then each day for two minutes, I go anaerobic. And that means if by the end of the day, I've had a very simple day of just like, you know, standing around, not doing a lot, I'll do 30 burpees or I'll sprint up the driver. I'll do something that's approximately two minutes of glycolysis. So I get a hormetic effect of uh, glycolysis and anaerobic respiration. I get the hormetic effect of heat and I get the hormetic effect of cold each day. That might seem logistically difficult to pull off, but once you set up some lifestyle practices, it's actually pretty easy to get cold to get hot and to get, uh, get anaerobic at least once each day. So those would be, those are the main, the main things like learn breath work, hypoxia, hyperoxia, um, uh, get, get familiar with Eastern medicine and Chinese herbal adaptogens, and then play around with heat, cold and anaerobic glycolysis. Amazing. Ben, thank you so much for coming back on the OPP for you guys listening. Thanks for tuning in. Go to naturalstacks.com for the blog post for this. We will have a link to, 
all of the books, all of the research, but especially the Kickstarter website for Ben's Christian Gratitude Journal. Um, go to iTunes, leave us a five-star review. Let us know how much you like the show. And Ben, where can folks find you? Uh, you know what? Just go to those pages that you just mentioned. Would be That'd be fine. Uh, or bengreenfieldfitness.com uh, works as well. And uh, yeah, it, that, that'd that be great. But I, Ryan does a pretty good job with the show notes, I know. And uh, so I'd just say, yeah, go go check out his show notes. And, and that way he can put all the show notes together and I can be lazy and just uh, walk <laughs> away after we record. <laughs> yeah, you, you don't have to do all the hard work on this one. You know, you know what it's like, though, because you have your own show. I know. Yeah. All right. Ben, this has been a blast, man. Thank you so much. Cool. Well, thanks for having me on, Ryan. I appreciate it.